Hi, this is Christine Blanco, and thank you for joining us for another episode of COVID with Alliant. With me, as always, is... Diana Craig. Hey, you guys. Okay, before we get into this, and I haven't told Diana I'm going to do this, so it's probably annoying, but I want to hear from you, Diana, what you've been doing in quarantine that you wouldn't expect to have done, like something new, something quarantine-y. Uh, well, that's a that's a hard question because I've generally been working around the clock, Christine. <laughs> that's the right answer. Um, Would okay. you like to tell everyone what time it is tonight? Oh, yeah, it's eight thirty. Um, I'm going to answer my own question. So I personally have made homemade hand sanitizer, and I also got a dog, which I guess you could call my um, emotional support COVID dog. Um, so at any rate, that's what's been happening. I can tell you one thing that I've been doing, uh, reading up on the WARN Act. Oh, good. See, she, she's just always on point, always on message. So on that note, we are going today to talk to you about um, some benefit plan implications of furloughs and layoffs and furloughs generally, some employment law issues, some short-term disability issues, sort of a grab bag of furlough and layoff Um, issues, which are hard things to talk about. They are unfortunate realities right now. We are getting a number of questions about them, so we wanted to walk you through them. And by the way, right now, as in any time like this, when things are moving fast and furiously, um, there's a lot of information out there. Not all of it is reliable. It may look a little bit different from what we're saying. Um, You know, you can always come to us with clarifications, but um, we have drilled down on this, and here's what we know as of right now. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the differences between termination, layoff, furlough, all those terms are used. And so ultimately, a termination marks the end of an employment, right? This would happen for any number of reasons. A layoff is also a termination for maybe a, a, a more brief period of time. Um, or potentially permanent. If you were an air traffic controller in the 80s, again, showing my age. And a furlough is generally considered a temporary leave of absence that continues employment um, but reduces scheduled hours or requires even unpaid provisions. And so these all get mixed up, and I want to do a takeaway. I can tell Diana wants to say something. Well, my my favorite furlough example, actually, I don't like any furloughs, but um, is the government shutdowns that happen when a spending bill isn't passed in time. Remember? Perfect. Yeah, that's a perfect example. But I think for our purposes, because all of these terms are, are whirling about for our discussions here, note that your group health plan determinations and decisions are largely going to be based on whether the employment relationship continues to exist or whether it has been terminated temporarily or permanently, regardless of what term the employer uses, okay? And so essentially, are they on your payroll and just sitting there sort of idle or have you processed determination and and how does that how does that work? And we always want to go facts and circumstances over you know nomenclature. So with that, now is it your turn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's the sort of unfortunate uh, question of we are laying people off. Uh, when do we offer Cobra? Do we offer Cobra? Are we required to offer Cobra? And you know, these are again old rules. We know that we need to offer individuals Cobra when they have been covered by our group health plan and they lose eligibility for that coverage uh, due to a termination or reduction in hours. So we are going to offer COBRA. 
Um, and that's again, if you have any sort of policy leave in place where you've extended eligibility, that of course would apply. But on the exhaustion of any of those um, provisions that extend eligibility, whether you've had them in place for a long time, whether you've put something in place as an emergency with your carrier partner or stop loss, at the end of that window, we will offer COBRA. Um, and I guess my, my part B to that is, um, do we, can we subsidize COBRA? Should we subsidize COBRA? How do we subsidize COBRA? Um, and yes, an employer can subsidize COBRA coverage uh, for individuals. We do want to be a little bit cautious about how we do that. Um, and this is, again, a very old rule. When we have self-funded plans and employers um, subsidize COBRA for highly compensated individuals on a tax-favored basis, that just raises some red flags. I mean, they're really more um, intellectual red flags and practical red flags, but we'd be remiss if we did not mention them. And what I would tell you is, you know, generally we want employers who choose to subsidize COBRA coverage to do that in a post-tax lump sum payment that basically gives the employee money. It's intended to pay for a certain period of COBRA coverage. They can take it or they can not elect the COBRA coverage and maybe jump on a spouse's plan. Right. When you directly subsidize COBRA, yeah, you might be able to take a tax advantage there. So if the employee never receives the money, they never get that cash in hand, if it goes directly to a carrier or to the plan from an employer, yes, there's a small tax advantage there, but you're locking that employee in. Once they've made that COBRA election, um, they lose the ability to have a special enrollment right unless they exhaust that COBRA coverage. So again, we... Um, we think it's a great idea if you have to offer COBRA to subsidize that for people if you can. But again, a post-tax uh, lump sum mm -hmm. payment is probably the way to go there. And that's really for all these sort of various administrative reasons. It's not to say you can't take another approach, but we've seen it done a lot of times, and this is our best practice recommendation. Uh, moreover, even where you're doing that, you should inform those employees that, you know, here's your lump sum for COBRA. Should you elect it, please note that unless it's, you know, you're going to run through the exhaustion of COBRA, you won't have a, a special enrollment right. I want to back up before we move on, actually, to talk just to confirm some basics on COBRA. In this particular situation, a reduction of hours or a termination employment results in 18 months of COBRA under federal COBRA. Note that in a fully insured plan, some state insurance laws will provide a continuation for that of up to 36 months, um, specifically Cal COBRA. Well, and we have a great chart on all a 50 state mini COBRA chart. We do. Okay, so if you want that, you should talk to your alliance representative um thanks for that plug diana okay so the this the next question that we have to address and i think we're good on cobra payment yeah now. Okay, yeah um instead of offering cobra can we just keep our furloughed or unpaid leave employees on the benefit plan and diana hit this um a little bit and i think it's it bears repeating an employer should always first review its group health plan eligibility provisions and your own existing employer leave policies. You may have something in place that allows folks to stay on the plan for you know 30 to 60, maybe 90 days. Um, if you don't and you want to do that, given the current circumstances, you should first secure your carrier and stop loss approval to do that. You should never extend coverage without that or other, otherwise you're self-funding any, potentially self-funding any of those claims. You would need to make a corresponding plan amendment via whatever your standard process may be for doing that. Sometimes that may be just talking to your TPA about amending your plan docs. 
And then you would let all your vendors and know and also obviously notify your employees. Um, as part of this process, you need to, con to figure out how you're going to continue to contribute to premium, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yes, again, you can leave them on the plan, but you cannot do that without something in writing and some sign-off from your carrier partners. All right. Oh, and I'm still up, huh? Oh, no, I think... Um... Oh, it's me. Yeah. We're going to talk about ACA stability period. Did I miss something? Oh, I wanted to talk about ACA stability periods. My... It's my favorite. Okay. I'm going to let her do that. <laughs> well, we got a question, which was basically a follow-up. It's like, wh what about employees who are in an ACA um, full-time status stability period? Which is a great question. Thank you for asking it. It is. And so just remember, when we look at um, ACA full-time status determinations, you can be a monthly method employer, which means everybody's ACA status is sort of calculated at the end of each month. If you hit 130 a month, you're full-time. But for our employers who have a more variable hour or seasonal employees, they generally like to use the 12-month look-back period, and that, that measurement averages those hours over 12 months. If you hit 1560, which is 130 times 12, you are locked into ACA full-time status for the full stability period, which is generally your plan year. So you're right. If somebody in a stability period um, suddenly doesn't have hours, they're generally going to keep that ACA stability period status. Um, obviously not if you fire them, then they're going to lose that status. Which is something to note, right? Just, it goes away at that point. Put a pin in that one. <laughs> but I just wanted to remind everyone also that there is kind of a narrow exception where you can break an employee out of their stability period status. Um, I kind of call it an exception. You can only use this exception for an employee who was hired as full-time and offered coverage within three months of employment. So an employee who was never put in an initial measurement period, those are reserved for our part-time, seasonal, and variable hour employees. So that's condition one. Condition two is that the employee that you are breaking out actually averages fewer than 130 hours per month for three full months after this status change. Um, then you can take the employee out of the stability period. They will not be ACA full-time. They will lose eligibility for coverage if your eligibility provisions match or track ACA full-time status determinations effective the first day of the fourth month following the change. So that is just the exception we wanted to note where you can break someone out of a stability period. And I think the practical implications there are if you are going to lay off some folks who are full-time in a stability period and you don't anticipate hiring them back at full-time at any time of the foreseeable future, this is a safe approach. I think we may want to talk about, too, they can also drop their coverage. You want yeah. to talk about that? And before we get there, let's also remember the break-in service rules. If, you know, we have the good fortune of you being able to hire these folks back pretty quickly, the break-in service rules is if you do that in under 13 weeks, they would be entitled to come back onto the plan in their same status yeah. as soon as practicable, right? And that reinstatement rule, so if they haven't had 13 weeks of unpaid status, so no hours, and we have a chart on sort of what hours count there, so if they haven't had a break in service and they resume employment, you got to get them back on the plan the first day of the month following when they return. Yep. Oh, but just really quickly. Yeah, let's talk about the dropping coverage. Yeah, part. I mean, let's let's just remember too that um, when we had all of these ACA rules come about, we had a few corresponding um, additions to our cafeteria plan election change rules. 
And the one that applies here is basically a election change or status change event that allows someone to drop their coverage if they have had a reduction in hours to below 30 per week, even if their eligibility is not lost as long as they intend to enroll in other minimum essential coverage. So they can drop that plan at that point. Your offer still holds. It's their drop. It's up to them. Um, and again, this is this is major medical only though. Right. And, and just recall, if we think about it, the cafeteria plan uh, election rules require the election to be in place for a year unless certain circumstances exist. And until the ACA came along and locked people into the stability period that made them eligible regardless of hours worked, we really didn't need that. The ACA allows this drop in coverage now so that folks can actually make a drop here um, generally under these circumstances. And so on that note, continuing this discussion about whether you keep them on the plan, not on the plan, if you if you opt and have arranged to keep furloughed employees on the plan, but they're not being paid, how should you handle premiums? And so under FMLA, there's some three prescribed rules. In this situation, we really just recommend that you have them pay as you go, which means the employee would pay for coverage by sending post-tax payments to you. You can always terminate coverage for non-payment of premium, after which you would offer COBRA. Um, or no, COBRA's not offered in that situation. No, right? yeah, remember. It's not an eligible, yeah, that, it's not a qualifying event under yeah. COBRA. Yeah. Not, non-payment is not a non-payment. listed event. Um, recovery on that. Um, <laughs> so, so the recommendation again, pay as you go. Okay. Um, status changes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to just, I mean, I talked a little bit about the new, well, I guess it's not really new. It was probably 2014, 13, mm-hmm. um, election change event that applies to major medical where you are, even if you retain eligibility, you are allowed to drop major medical coverage if you have a reduction in hours to below 30. So we kind of talked about that one. Um, But again, that's major medical only. So I wanted to hit what happens with um, your your dependent care account Mm -hmm. is important and your health FSA is also important. DCAPs are the easy one. I'm going to make Chris talk about health (laughs) FSAs because they're a little tougher. But just remember, our DCAP rules have always been incredibly flexible. You have always been allowed to change your salary reduction election amount on a prospective basis if you have a change to either your work situation or your child care provider's status or situation. Mm -hmm. So yes, employees can definitely um, stop that DCAP salary reduction election right now. We don't need to be sweating on that one. No, I mean, it doesn't mean you can liquidate your account. Uh, That is not what we're saying, but prospectively, you can stop that salary reduction election. Note to self, actually, now that I'm thinking about that. Okay, so um, let's talk about health FSAs. So cafeteria plan, again, election change rules will allow a fair amount of flexibility in the medical plan, but they're not as flexible on the health FSA. And so that rule that Diana spoke about um, that was new under the ACA, and if you drop below 30 hours, but even if you don't, you know, your eligibility doesn't change, you can drop medical, does not apply to health FSAs. That's our read of, you know, the settled guidance. That being said, if somebody is going out on a furlough and or an unpaid leave and they're not going to have a salary and they would not be making contributions to the health FSA, 
it, during that period of time, contributions would cease and coverage would cease, right? So there would just be, you know, any expenses incurred would be an ineligible for reimbursement during that period of time. Again, in the good fortune that they return to work, um, we see it as having two options. You could have them um, make up elections so that they make up their election for the year or just the pro rata month-by-month -month basis election moving forward. So those would be the options that we see upon return to employment. Um, but that, again, the rules don't allow just a revoke, a technically revoking that election. Um, I'm going to cover real quickly um, short-term disability benefits. Um, what happens here um, generally short-term disability uh, contracts have an actively at work provision or you have to be you know doing your job before your you know the day before coverage um, goes into effect in terms of um, your eligibility and so how does this apply here and it really will depend on your carrier it's been carrier specific 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 <laughs> I'm gonna take a breath and um really depends carrier by carrier. We've seen it run the gamut, um, that some carriers are willing to extend eligibility as long as premiums continue to be paid up through certain dates, May, we've seen May up to June. Um, some carriers are unwilling to do that at all. We have our absence, disability, and life practice that's really keyed in here with our carrier partners, and we're happy to engage on that question if you have it on a more specific basis. But understand there is some flexibility there in the market, but it really just depends or it isn't a compliance issue. So is it my turn to talk about the WARN Act? Yes, it is. Well, and I do want to just flag, this is largely going to be more of an employment law issue than it is an employee benefits issue. If you work with employment law counsel that you um, really like or really trust, um, definitely reach out to them on these WARN Act, is Act issues. I just wanted to sort of cover some of our WARN Act basics. So when we say WARN Act, we're talking about the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. Um, the WARN Act generally applies to employers with 100 or more full-time employees. The basic WARN Act requirement is to provide 60 days notice to affected employees prior to a plant closing or mass layoff. Uh, back in my old employment law days, we often drilled down on wages and benefits paid in lieu of notice, and that is a handful. Um, but really what I wanted to sort of flag here is that there are some exceptions to the WARN Act notice requirements that likely, possibly, maybe swallow, swallow the rule the, here, yeah. right? Um, one of them is the unforeseen economic circumstances exception. You can use this if your company has experienced a sudden and dramatic downturn in business. So uh, I think we are we all experiencing that possibly? I don't know. The other one that might apply, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more of a square peg round hole, but there is a natural disaster exception. Listen, I'm going to go and just say this is a natural disaster. All right, Chris is all in. So yeah. we, we think the, again... You should still talk to your employment law counsel. But. One or both of these exceptions probably eat up this rule. And then, Chris, did you want to hit on some mm -hmm. mini warns? Yeah, so like a lot of... Um, laws we see a state parallel in again i'm going to defer to your employment law council but in at least seven states by our um our most recent look on that and we've seen in california 
um, because I don't believe there are the um, exceptions as applicable under federal. The California governors come out and basically um, excused employers from complying with the California Warn Act to give notice as soon as practicable under the circumstances. I would imagine we will see other um, state law or state governors doing the same. And so again, you know, this is a little bit outside our wheelhouse, um, but we wanted to hit this and let you know that we think we're you're probably not going to have to go letter by letter on the Warren Act, and to make sure you engage with Employment Law Council if you have some more granular, specific questions there. And I think that brings us to the end of this Compliant with Alliance. Did we hit it all, I think? I think we hit it all. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll probably be back with you soon. Stay safe and well.